When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. So, we are in episode 35 of Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And we are now at the base of Mount Sinai. The Israelites, Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments. Um, the way it reads is that um, the God is speaking the Ten Commandments. I don't know if it's going to Moses directly up on the mountain or if it's going to the people and the people can hear it. Um, but that that's neither here nor there because we want to get into the Ten Commandments. Yesterday we got into the First Commandment, which is have no other gods before me. Today we're going to look at the Second Commandment, uh, which is also a very, very important commandment. It's not very long, uh, so let's just go ahead and read it and then we'll talk about it a little bit. You shall not misuse the name of your Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, <laughs> this, um, when I teach confirmation and I, and I talk to the kids about what this means, obviously uh, there are lots of kids today in high school, even in junior high, that follow, I don't remember what movie it was, but they would say, Oh my God, oh my God, which is, um, you know, kind of flippantly saying God. And that, I try to tell them, is not um, a good thing to say. So you should say, oh my goodness, uh, or you should find something else to say. Why? Because you shouldn't just flippantly or casually say the name of God. Same thing with Jesus Christ. You shouldn't just flippantly do that also. And our culture which is interesting. Our culture does all the time. They say God and they say Jesus Christ all the time, not necessarily flatteringly. And I even wonder if they realize that, you know, that, 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 um, that the whole idea of Jesus Christ and God is built into our culture. They may not even believe in Jesus Christ or God, but they say the names as a way to reinforce uh the comments that they're trying to say. And I don't think they realize how important God and Jesus Christ are to Western culture. You cannot separate the two. The two go hand in hand. And so you should not flippantly use either one of those. And that's that's probably, that's a good way to understand this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But there's a lot more there. Uh, so I just want to I'll bring it up again to show you. In the, in the, uh, this is the NIV. You shall not use the, misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless. And you'll notice that Lord is capitalized, L-O-R-D. And we remember from previous episodes that whenever you see the name Lord capitalized in the New Testament, that means that it is the proper name of God. That is the Y-H-W-H name of God. They call that the Tetragrammaton. It's the four letters that indicate the name of God. And in the Hebrew writings, when you were singing or cantillating or reading the Hebrew scriptures in the synagogue, when you came to the proper name of God, you did not say his name you said either, you said one of two things. Well, you said something else. It could be Adonai, which was the vast majority of the time people said Adonai. Sometimes you'd say Hashem. And 
The way you would know that you were supposed to say Adonai as opposed to the proper name of God is that when you came to the four letters, it had the vowels of Adonai, but it had the four letters of God. And so because you're not supposed to add or subtract any of the the scripture of God, you could add points to it, which is what the Masoretic people did. They added the vowels onto it to help you understand how to pronounce it. But the original Hebrew text has no vowels whatsoever. So you come to to the Lord, the name is proper name, and you would say Adonai, typically. And if you take the proper name of God and the vowels of Adonai, you end up with Jehovah. That's what it pronounces, which is why people call God Jehovah. But it is there is no such thing as Jehovah. And I know there's even a religion called Jehovah Witnesses, but it's not, it's a it's a fictitious, it's not the name of God. It's the four letters, the four consonants of God with Adonai, the vowels of Adonai kind of meshed in there, but it's Jehovah. And I don't blame them because Luther called it Jehovah also. That's how he, that's where he translated it in the German. He called it Jehovah. Anyway, so this is the Lord. This is the Lord. This is the actual proper name of God. You shall not misuse the proper name of Jehovah, of Adonai, of Yahweh. And so... That is the second commandment. Now, if you are Jewish and you're very, very conservative Jewish and you take things that God says very, very literally, then you would never even say the name of God. You would never say his proper name because that prevents you from misusing the name of God because if you never say the name, of God, the proper name of God, then you're never going to misuse the proper name of God. And there are people, very, very orthodox Jewish, conservative Jewish people even today, that they take this very literally. They're the same people where it says, you know, write this on your forehead and upon your sleeve. And instead of being that, letting that be a metaphor that you, you should be, you should constantly surround yourself with the word of God. They actually do have phylacteries and tephilim and all that where they put uh, little scriptures all over their body on their hems of their garments and things like that because they literally take uh, scripture and they do things that scripture says very literally. And so if you are Hebrew and you don't want to misuse the name of the Lord, then the way you do that is that you never say the name of God ever because you don't want to misuse it. You have to remember in the Old Testament, it was probably okay to say the name of God, but but God doesn't want you to misuse it. And the way that the Jewish people kind of surrounded themselves with a fence or a hedge to make sure that they never misuse the name of God is that they just never said the name of God, which turns into a problem because that means that we really have no understanding of what the proper name of God truly is. We have the four letters, but we don't have the vowels. So we say Yahweh, but it could be anything. There could be a number of different pronunciations for the proper name of God. We just don't know because we, the Hebrew people stopped saying the name of God thousands of years ago. So we really have no idea. And they don't misuse the name of God. As a matter of fact, in the writing, uh, if you look at Hebrew writings, if you'll read uh, any of the Hebrew, sometimes you'll see a newspaper that's translated from Hebrew into English, uh, you know, the Ha'aretz newspaper. Sometimes you can read that. 
and sometimes you'll see in English, they'll say G slash D. And that's how they write the name of God. They don't even say the name. They don't even say God, let alone the, the name of, of God. I mean, the, the, they are really, and it's not a bad thing because every time you see that, it triggers in your mind, oh, God is a holy person. His name is holy. And that's the that's probably the other, I mean, aside from literally, because you could, the problem with that, and there is a problem with that. The problem with saying, I'm just never going to say the name of God. The problem with that is that, therefore, you think that you followed this commandment by simply never saying the name of God. You go through your whole entire life, whenever you see L-O-R-D or you're reading or cantillating scripture and you come across the proper name of God, you always say Adonai or Hashem or something else. You never, ever say the name and you think that you are following this commandment. But I don't believe that's what God intended. A very, very literal understanding of this commandment. That all you have to do to follow God is just to never say his name. No. I think what God means here is something a little bit more uh, deeper in meaning. And what I mean by that is is that God, what, what was the first commandment? The first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, the first commandment is, put me first in your life. That's, I want to be first in your life. I don't want you to have anything else in your life that is above me. I need to be the greatest good, the greatest mission, the greatest vision, the greatest thing in your life. It has to be me. And when you do that, you will be living the best life that I have for you. And then he comes right off the heels of that to say, don't misuse my name. And I believe, this is what I believe, is that he also, it's not that he doesn't want you to have something else greater than him, but he wants you to, he wants to make you, he wants to make himself, God wants to make himself the primary thing in your life of every every word you say, every action you do, everything that you do. Now, uh, in the New Testament, I always talk about Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I've spoken about how that's like a wheel. And you got to have God as the center part of the wheel with all the spokes going around. And if God is in the center, then the wheel is very balanced. You'll have a good life. But if God is not the center, if you put something else in the center of your life, now you have an unbalanced wheel and it will cause all sorts of problems in your life. And so God sh- sh- demands that you should be, that he should be in the center of your wheel, that he should be in the center of your life. And that, and I get that from Exodus, I mean, from this second commandment. Jesus would have said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is, Jesus is thinking back to this, put God first in your life. Don't misname the, don't misuse the name of God Make sure that he is central and focused in your life. That's what I take away from the second commandment. Now, why is it, why is this important? Because if God's going to be first in you, if you're going to know other gods before before me, as God says, and then you put me first and make every action and everything in your life centered around me, then God will never fail you. You will always be able to recover from some of the deep tragedies and some of the things that happen in your life that are going to be very, very difficult. Even the easy things, but but putting God first means that anytime that there's something 
difficult, some tribulation or trial happening in your life that you stop and you pause and you say, okay, I'm not going to necessarily look at how this affects me. I'm going to look at how this impacts the kingdom. And I'm going to have a kingdom mind frame in everything that I do. And when I do that, then I know that I'm honoring God. King David said this, right? When King David sinned and he, uh, by having um, a relationship with Bathsheba, he, he, it wasn't that he, you know, he, um, that he violated the trust of the people of Israel. It wasn't that he violated Bathsheba. It wasn't that he broke a relationship with God. He says, in, you know, in Psalm 51, you and you only have I sinned. In other words, David had I mean, all the frailties and all the bad things that David did, but David had a heart where he tried to follow this, where he said, when he says, you and you, against you, you and you only have I sinned in Psalm 51, he is hearkening back here to the second commandment that everything that we do in life is either for the kingdom or against the kingdom. It's either for the king or it's against the king. And we should have that type of mindset in everything that we do so that when bad things happen in our life, we step back and think, okay, what is, how is this impacting the kingdom of God? How can I move forward from this? And have I sinned against God? Do I need to first make reparations with God first and foremost? And if the answer is yes, then understand that the glory of the cross and the redemption of Jesus is in your life. And you can, you can have redemption, that God will forgive you. That's what he does. And then once all that's taken care of, then you figure out in the earth and the worldly things, all right, how am I going to put things in place so I, that doesn't happen again? Or how am I going to, if I've wronged somebody, how do I go back and make reparations for that? If I've said something, you know, how do I go back and try to repair some of the damage that I've said? I mean, those are the types of things that you do secondarily. But first, you don't misuse the name of God. You put him first in your life. Uh, and, then he, and he will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So if, if you put him first in your life, and try to live your life according to him, then he won't hold you guiltless because he knows that you're trying to put him first in your life. And um, that is that is grace, right? That is total grace. We know that we get forgiveness of sins because of Jesus. The Old Testament was because we're in the kingdom, we're in the covenant, we're trying to follow him, we're trying to live our life for him. That's what this is. And... Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I want to give a practical example of this, of like what it means. Um, and uh, there are so many, but the one that that pops into my head is when I was an engineer. We had uh, we st- we. I keep saying we started an engineering firm. I did not start the firm. It was another guy. He was um, twenty two years older than I was. And uh, he had a PhD in engineering and he wanted to create like a world-class specialized niche uh, traffic engineering firm in Phoenix. And well, and across the nation too. And we worked very, very hard with the Maricopa Association of Governments, which is like a conglomeration of all the city governments in Phoenix. It, there's there's Tempe and Phoenix and Gilbert and Chandler and Mesa and Scottsdale and all these different towns in Phoenix that they come together and they form standards so that the standards don't change from one city to another city. And that's called the Maricopa, because it's Maricopa County, Association of Governments. 
And uh, the guy who was in charge there, uh, I had done a lot of work for him. And so he had mentioned that he wanted to update the standards for traffic engineering. And so I worked that really, really, really hard. Um, and I brought in my boss, Jim, to work that really, really hard. We had several meetings. We talked about it. We, we said, this is, you know, from our viewpoint of doing this work for a long period of time, these are the things that we should happen. I was probably, I'm going to guess, I was probably 30, 31 years old. I don't know. I was pretty young, <laughs> pretty young in the world of, of, you know, of engineering. And um, we landed the job. We actually, and when you think about it, if you are the person who creates the standard, then it's your foot in the door. Anytime somebody needs what they call a traffic study, because it's like, not only can I do the work, but I was instrumental in writing the standards for the work. I mean, it, it really is kind of something you could put in your resume. It's pretty cool. Uh, so I was so excited about landing this job and we landed the job. And I had every expectation because there was nobody else in the firm that could do this job. Um, but I was kind of young and my boss instead hired somebody who was a traffic engineer who had been a city traffic engineer, hired him to, to do the project. And I was so, um, dis I guess disappointed is maybe, I wasn't angry. Because uh, I don't things like that don't really get me angry, but I was just so disappointed because I had so many hopes and dreams about how you know I could finish. I had a bunch of good ideas about how I wanted to structure it and all that sort of thing. And he hires this Yahoo, who ends up really just not doing a very good job on the project. He basically, um, I'm a deep thinker, and so I like to think about things. Do these really work, or do we modify the standards? All he did was he looked, you know, at five or six different things compiled it and said, this is the standard. This is what everybody else does. This is what she do. He didn't put any thought into it at all, which as a person who thinks that just really upsets me, but got the project done and all that sort of thing. But, and I guess I'll bring that up because if my whole entire life had been, I want to be the very best engineer there is. I want to solve all as many problems as I can. That's my mission and my vision and goal in life is to solve all these problems. And this, something like that happens, it could have destroyed me. But even at 30, I had this kind of kingdom mentality that said, my, my role in this company is to serve the president of the company and whatever he says goes. And yeah, it might be difficult because some of the decisions he makes, uh, you know, I think they're stupid decisions, but, uh, but you know, I'm going to follow him. My, my goal isn't for me when I'm working in this company. My goal is to make the company successful, to make him successful, uh, to make sure this company survives into the future. And, and so I, I guess I was able to step back and say, you know, here's a guy who's been doing it for a lot longer than I have. So maybe he's going to do a great job. And, and I did step back and kind of let him take over the whole entire project. You know, looking back at it, just coming up with the standards was only a small portion of that project. The other portion of the project was trying to sell this to all the other municipalities in the Phoenix area. And they're not going to have some 30-year-old guy, you know, who has limited experience in life to come in and try to sell them on these standards. I mean, he, my, my boss was a completely 100% justified in doing that. Yes, it was a disappointment in my life. And yes, the final product probably wasn't as good as it should have been. And actually, we're still fighting that battle because those standards have ended up being in Pima County. And when I try to convince Pima County that those standards, you know, were just 
pulled out of the air and they don't really mean anything. They look at me like, who are you? <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> I'm nobody to tell you the truth. I'm really nobody. That's, that's what I am. Um, but anyway, um, the, uh, the, the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, we, we should be kingdom oriented. We should have a idea in our life that there's something bigger than us. And what's bigger than us is the kingdom of God. And everything that we should do in this life should serve the kingdom of God. And when you put that first in your life, then everything else, some of the greatest disappointments in your life, will fall into place because the kingdom is first. I do believe that Jesus is correct. Seek, well, of course, (laughs) but this is a great verse to have memorized. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It all goes together. Put God first in the first commandment and then the second commandment, live your life as if he's first in your life. And it's not just not saying the proper name of God or when you write it, you know, make sure you don't write it, you know, never even say the proper name of God so you don't get close to misusing his name. Um, it, it really means putting him first in your life. And then why is this beneficial? Because it, um, it centers you. When the, when the difficult things, and how many difficult things have happened in your life? If you put God first and you take a kingdom perspective, Well, look at the Apostle Paul. He's rotting in prison, and he's going to die in prison. And if if the first thing in his life was planting all these churches or making sure he writes enough letters to Timothy and all all those people and all the churches, he'd be sorely disappointed. But if he can be in prison and say, okay, my, my mission and vision in life, what God has called me to do is just to be his hands and feet, first and foremost, to put him first in my life. Then he looks around in prison and he says, okay, how can I do that? What? May, I'm going to be the hands and feet of God, so what do I do? And he says, well, there's a prison guard. Well, I will share God's love to the prison guard. I'll be the hands and feet to share God's love to the prison guard. And that's what he does. Uh, I will do that with other people. I'm going to make sure that I follow God no matter what the circumstance. And I have been in prison. Uh, not... <laughs> I done anything wrong to be incarcerated, but I have been to prisons through prison ministries, uh, Kairos, that ministry. And you will meet people who in prison come into the kingdom of God. And these are people that are never going to get out of kingdom and out of the prison. And they look around them and they say, okay, I'm never going to get out of here, but I now believe that God exists and I'm going to follow him because Jesus has redeemed me of all my sin. We're right. God and I are right right now. I may not be right with the world. I may not be right with anybody else, but I'm okay with God. And so now what do I do to bring about the kingdom in this circumstance? And they do. And some of these people, I will tell you, uh, I think I've told this story before, but um, sometimes there's these meals and uh most of the time we're in this one location, but uh, one time I wasn't able to be at that location. So I went back to where they're preparing the meals because you have these meals that are prepared and brought into the inmates. They're really quite good meals, not what they normally get. And so I went back into the kitchen and they were kind of waiting to cook the next meal. And uh, so they were playing Bible trivia. And I remember saying, 
oh, I'm going to stomp them on Bible trivia. I know everything about the Bible. I'm, a, you know, got this seminary degree. Well, lesson number one is do not ever play Bible trivia with a Christian who has found Jesus in prison and they all they do for about eight to ten hours a day is read God's word backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards over and over and over again for years because you will lose on Bible trivia <laughs> and you will have egg on your face um, because uh, the two guys that I played Bible trivia, you know, mopped me off the floor. They were incredible. And that, that, is a, that is such a huge blessing to understand that once a person enters into the kingdom of God, once grabs a, God grabs a hold of the person's heart, it is one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. Um, all right, so don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. That's the second commandment uh, in uh, Catholic Lutheran circles. Actually, I think in Protestant, it's the third commandment, um, Presbyterian. I think the first commandment, is no other God. Second is, uh, well, you know, whatever it is. And then third is, is this one. So anyway, um, we are going to, I think we're going to leave that for today. Uh, sorry I'm taking so long to go through these commandments, but there's so much good stuff. And, and who knows, by tomorrow I may have something else I want to tell you on this. But uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, help us not to misuse your name. Lord, help us to put you first in our life and to make you first in our life and to live our lives as if you are. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.